Amen. That's got nothing to do with what I'm preaching tonight, but I just felt that having to do that. Awesome. So, like I said, my name is Jamie, and I'm gonna, I have the privilege of sharing the word with you today. And I'm very excited, but I'm also super overwhelmed. I don't know why. <laughs> so I might cry sometime, but that's okay. Just ignore it, okay? I think one of the reasons why I'm so overwhelmed is just I was standing in the back, and I just looking at all of you and just looking at your lives and just looking at how much each one of you have grown and just how you love the Lord and how you so hunger and thirst after Him. Like Sunday after Sunday, day after day, small group after small group, there's such a hungering after God. And just like Arman said um, when he prayed, he said, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And, and it's just such a privilege to be able to, to know each and every one of you and just to be so inspired by your lives and see the way that you hunger and thirst after God and you seek after God and you want to be so obedient to God in everything that you do. And I just want to say thank you. Um, and I honor just each and every one of you um, just for who you are. Cool. So I will be sharing on abiding in Him. Yes. Um, so we're just going to jump straight in. I don't really have an introduction. So if you have your Bible, I really want to encourage you to take it out because we're going to read some passages of Scripture. And I think it will be good to, if you, well, it helps me to read it in my own Bible. Then it kind of just sits and kind of just sinks in better. Um, so you can open to Matthew 3, verse 5 to 8. Oh, actually, it is on the screen. But you can also open your Bibles if you like. Um, okay, let me just quickly pray for us. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of coming and sitting under your word, Lord, of being able to just hear your voice, Lord, and know you and read your word and just grow deeper in intimacy with you, Lord. So, Lord, we just consecrate this time to you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that it's alive. Thank you it pierces our hearts and transforms us into, into your image, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you that you will speak tonight. Thank you that everything that is not of you will just fall to the ground, Lord. And every word that is of you, Lord, thank you that, that we will hear it, Lord, that it will pierce our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm reading from Matthew 3, verse 5 to 8. But before we read from there, I just want to give you context around, around the scripture. So, all of us know Matthew 3 because right at the end, Jesus gets baptized, right? No? Yes, Jesus gets baptized in Matthew 3. So, who knows who John the Baptist is? Who knows what John the Baptist came to do? Um, he came to prepare um, the way for Jesus, so he preached a message of repentance. Exactly that. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, and he preached what? Repentance. So um, John the Baptist was in Matthew 3, verse, well, Matthew 3. John the Baptist was baptizing people who had repented of their sins because they had heard the good news. If you read early um, in Matthew chapter 5, you will see John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all the people were coming to get baptized. So John the Baptist's purpose, like Bandla said, was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Was to um, prepare people's hearts to receive the message that Jesus was bringing, the good news that Jesus was bringing. So this is where we, 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 we are picking up from. Matthew 3 verse 5 to 8, it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw, men, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, be, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So here we see that there were a lot of people that were coming to be baptized in the baptism of repentance, the baptism of John the Baptist. It says that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region of the Jordan were coming to be baptized. So if you have to think about it today, it's like the whole of Cape Town, the whole of Hermanus, the people who live by the beach, all of them were coming to get baptized. It wasn't just like a small group of people that were coming to get baptized. It was a multitude of people that were coming to receive the baptism of repentance, the baptism of John the Baptist. Um, and it is here that we find the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were also coming to get baptized. Um, they were 
And so when, when they were coming, John the Baptist said, rebuked them and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to um, flee the coming wrath? And you wonder, what, why was John the Baptist rebuking the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Because they, they were coming to repent, right? They were coming to get baptized in the baptism of repentance. But what we, what we, can, what we can know from that scripture is that the reason why John the Baptist had rebuked the Sadducees and the Pharisees is because he knew that they were hypocrites. He knew that they were coming, not because that they had repented, but because there was a lot of people that were coming and they wanted to come out and be like, I'm also getting baptized, look at me. So if you look, if you read in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels and things like that, you know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I think there's some other E's, not sure, <laughs> they were religious leaders of the days and they were very influential. But they were also, a lot of them were also hypocrites. They would stand in corners of the street and they would like um, cry out to God in front of everyone, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person, that I'm, you know. So they, they, basically what a hypocrite is, is someone who says something but does something else. So a lot of, in that, in that day, a lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees would, would say one thing, they would preach, they would, they would read the law out to people and they would quote the law, but then they would not live according to the law. Does it make sense? So then John the Baptist rebuked them because he knew that they had come under false pretenses. The reason why they would come is because they wanted everyone to see that they were coming to the baptism of repentance. But, but John the Baptist knew that they were hypocrites. They lived in the same area. It's not like John the Baptist lived here in Cape Town and the Sadducees and the Pharisees lived in Joburg so you couldn't see them. They were neighbors. They knew how they lived. They, they were in each other's vicinity so he could see um, you know, how they live. So he knew that they were coming under false pretenses. So coming back to the scripture, they were coming to be baptized. Now baptism, if you don't know, is an outward sign or an, a public declaration of something that has happened inside, in, in your heart and outwards. It's not just something that has happened, but it's also something that manifests out. So it means that you've repented of your sins and you have turned away from them. So baptism was a way to publicly declare that or show outwardly that this is what happened in your heart, that you repented from your sins and you had turned away from your ways and you were now walking with Jesus. You were now forgiven of your sins. However, like I said, the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to be baptized without having, been, without having repented of their sins. They wanted to come and do this outward expression of what happens in their heart without having that inward change in their heart without having actually repented of their sins and turning from their ways. They actually wanted to do it for a show. They were actually self-righteous and prideful. But you're probably thinking, why is the story about the Pharisees coming to get baptized relevant to what we're talking about today, right? Because it's like, you know. So the reason why it's relevant is because many people today, or in church specifically, um, and Christians, live their lives, but they don't reflect that inward change in their hearts. They live their lives as if they, you know, exactly like how the Pharisees and the Sadducees live. We live our lives so that people could see, oh, look at this person, she prays so loud. You know, look at, look at Jamie, she sings so well or whatever. But they, you know, there's, 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 there's just a very much a living of our lives as if nothing has changed inside of us. They carry on living their lives as if we're actually still in the world. We don't live as if Jesus has taken, out, up, taken us out from that place of darkness and brought us into light. Um, we don't reflect that Jesus died to save, our, to save our lives and we've accepted that and we have a new life. We live as if we, 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 we're part of this world. Like I think there's a, in John 17, it says that, they, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are strangers in this world, but our home is heaven. We have eternity as our home. This is just, we're just passing through here. We're just sojourners, kind of just passing through this world to lead to another, to another one. But yet we live as if this is, this is um, we live our lives as if we are still in the world, as if Jesus never died for us, as if you know, he didn't come to save us as if we haven't been libera liberated, as if we haven't received the love of God. Um, an example of this is someone who willingly, or a Christian, or someone who believes in Jesus, that willingly, for example, sleeps with their boyfriend and girlfriend, even though they know it's wrong, right? But 
so at the same time, this doesn't include someone that is really um, seeking the Lord and walking a journey with the Lord and they're struggling with sin, but they really want to be set free of it. So this is not, this is, this is, this is two differences, right? This is not the same thing that I'm talking about. Um, someone who still lives in the world or is a Christian and still lives with that mentality of being in the world is someone that knows the truth, but yet they still choose to do things that are against God. Um, and now this, but this also includes someone who's, who's sitting on the fence. Jesus said in the revelations that you're either hot or cold. If you look warm, what? I'll vomit you out. It's a nasty analogy, but he will literally spit us out and vomit us out. So the main thing that I'm trying to, the point that I'm trying to make here is that in verse 8 of Matthew, verse 3 to 5, which says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So how does it look or how does one bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Let's go to John chapter 15. Okay, John chapter 15. This podium is a bit small, so all my stuff can't fit here. I apologize. Okay, John chapter 15. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> this helps me. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this my, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so to prove that you are my disciples. So that's quite a long eight verses. But we're going we're gonna to look at it from the top. So verse 1 says, Jesus is the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. John, chapter, John 15 has such a beautiful analogy, right? So pretty. You think of like this vine... And the, and the vine dresser, and the grapes, and the branches. Um, so it's a really, so if you can go to the next slide, like two slides after it, there's a picture. Yes, there's it. So I thought I'll just put a picture up just so, just so that we can all be on the same page of what it means, what I'm, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a vine, and the branch, and the fruit. I wish there was a picture of a vine dresser there, but there isn't one. But just imagine God the Father, the vine dresser there. Okay, so... Verse 1 says that Jesus is the true vine. And the re Jesus is the true vine says that there's a true vine, and then there's a not a true vine, right? Because why would John 15 talk about Jesus the true vine if there wasn't other vines? There was not fake vines or untrue vines, false vines, counterfeit vines. Um, and so if you look at that picture, you can see that um, if you look at the color one, of the vine is the bottom part, the one that goes to the ground, the one that is rooted, the one that has roots, and the branches are the one that is attached to the vine. It's not attached to the ground directly. It's attached to the vine, right? And the fruit is growing on the branches. Do you understand what I'm saying? The vine is the one thing, and the branches are attached or growing from the vine. So Jesus is the true vine. The vine in the picture of, of, of the grapes and the branches is the one where the branch and the fruit gets its source of life. It is the place where the, the branch gets its nutrients, its ability to grow. Um, because without the vine, do you think we'll have branches? Do you think we'll have grapes? No. We need the vine. The vine is Jesus and he is the true vine and he is the source of those nutrients the source of our growth, the source of our ability to grow is in Jesus. So without the vine, the branches cannot exist. They will surely die. 
um, if you just take a stick and break it off a tree and you just leave it on the, grass, on the ground, do you think it's going to grow? No. So, example, so like I said, Jesus is the true vine, which means they are untrue vines. So examples of untrue vines are anything in this world that, will try and get, that, we, get, that we try and get life from, that we try and get our nutrients from, that we try and get, you know, plug in so that we can get life from. Um, examples of this is friends, yeah, studies, family, sex, money, success, career, community, identity, communities like Mother God, LBGT, all these things where we try and, and get something from, that's all examples of untrue vines. People look to these things as their source of life, as their source of um, things that drive them. You know, when I was studying, um, when I was in first year, I was studying at UCT, chemical engineering, and when I was studying this, I was so driven by becoming a success. I was so driven that everything I did in my life was so that I could be successful, so that I could become a good chemical engineer. Why? So that I could make money. Why? So that I could have a good life. Why? So that I can be rich and die. <laughs> you know, and just be happy. So in that case, I tried to get my source from what I was studying. I tried to get my source from all these things that I thought it would give me, but ultimately that will never be able to fully satisfy you. Because it's actually temporal. It's not It'll maybe be able to um, fill you up for a little bit and maybe be able to satisfy that need and that desire for the ultimate source and for the true vine. But it's not going to last that long. It's only going to last a, little, a, a short period of time and then you're going to be hungry for more. It's like eating and only eating like one tablespoon. Nothing's not going to fill you. And then you're going to keep, keep going back and eating and eating more. But the thing is, it's like eating and eating like you have a hole in your stomach and it's never going to be satisfied. That's what it's like when you go to, to the untrue vine. It's going to be like trying to get your source, but you're never going to have enough. You're never going to be filled. You're never going to be able to grow. You're actually going to be stunted because Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true source. Um, Matthew 13 verse 22 says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Untrue vines are the cares of this world, like the scripture says, and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word, that doesn't bear fruit, that it, has, it doesn't allow us to bear fruit. It says, and it proves unfruitful. They prevent the word from convicting us. They prevent the word from taking root in our lives and ultimately prevents us from bearing fruit. That's what they do. And then in coming back to John 5, it says, so Jesus is the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser is just a fancy word for someone who takes care of the vines. So I Googled it, and there's three specific things that a vine dresser does in terms of the vine, in terms of the grapes, in terms of the branches. It says, a vine dresser is a person who prunes, trains, and cultivates vines, particularly grapevines. Now, what does those three things mean? Pruning sounds a bit painful, right? It sounds like you're breaking and cutting and doesn't sound very pleasant, right? But it is good for the branches. Um, if, you, if, if you read about, um, about actual like grape growing and things like that, you'll see that during the spring season, they deliberately cut the, the, the or prune or cut away certain things so that it will help the branches grow and produce better fruit, produce stronger fruit, produce sweeter fruit than it did the first time. It facilitates growth. So pruning is to cut off branches from a vine to make it grow better in future. Train means to teach a skill or type of behavior through sustained practice and instruction. How many times have you seen like, sometimes you'll see like a, like a tree or like a young tree or something or a vine and there's like something, like almost like they tie something around it. And they kind of like put the stick to go this way and then they twirl the branch around it and kind of like, turn the branch so it goes the other way. Have you seen that, right? No? Okay, I should have put a picture, I'm sorry. But it's kind of like, especially with um, trees that are growing wild, sometimes they just have to cut a little bit here or they put a stick here and tie the one branch on the one side so it helps it to grow in that direction instead of growing where it would have grown. 
Does that make sense? So when I think about chain, it's like teaching, it's exactly like that picture, like where the branch would have started to grow somewhere else, but then the vine dresser came and he actually turned it around and he instructed it and taught it through sustained practice and instruction, a certain type of way to grow, right? And then lastly, a vine dresser cultivates. It's to develop a quality or a skill. So Jesus is the true vine and the father is the vine dresser. Verse 2 says, if you want to go back to John 15, was it? Okay. Verse 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So in verse 2, it says, every branch in me. So what does that mean? That in me means that Jesus is speaking about Christians here. He's speaking about believers. He's speaking about people that believe in him. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what, is, what happens to a believer when they don't bear fruit? Interesting question, eh? So I read like a few translations, and often when, when we read that, in another translation it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away. Actually, and Armand helped me with this. But the Greek says, <laughs> the Greek words for that word, um, he takes away, is takes away or cut, means actually to lift up or to raise up. So it's interesting because it actually, when we think about that scripture, it says to cut away. It's actually like a harsh thing or to cut it or to take it away. It seems actually a little bit harsh. But if you look at the Greek word, it says it, it, it actually means to lift up or to raise. And in the springtime, what the vine dresser would do is that he would both lift up the unfruitful branches and he would prune the fruitful branches of the grapevines. Interesting, right? Jesus was teaching that the father in this specific scripture, he was saying, teaching that the father, who's the vine dresser, gives specific and special attention to the believers that are not bearing fruit. He lifts them up. He raises them up. Similar example that I, that I use when about chain, when sometimes when a branch is a little bit falling off, or it's a little bit broken and you want to help it up, the same thing the vine dresser would do is he would put a stick and he would tie the branch to it to lift it up so that it doesn't fall, it doesn't break. Um, in wine, uh, yeah, so it basically involves lifting the branch off the ground, so number one, so that it does not send secondary roots down to the ground. And that's interesting because it, we want the, the, Jesus is the true vine, which means if the branch is breaking, it's going to, it's going to develop other roots and, and kind of like, plant itself somewhere else or attach itself somewhere else. But so the process of lifting it up is so that it doesn't bear, it doesn't produce other um, roots to attach itself to other things. God is actually protecting it from actually rooting itself in other things because he wants it to be rooted in him because he is the source. He is where we get our life from. And then secondly, lifting up the, br the, 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 the branch off the ground um, onto a pole like I um, um, explained enables the air the dry the air enables air to dry the branch and prevents it from getting moldy and diseased so beautiful picture that God uses he's like the ones that are that are hurt the ones that are broken he's like I'm gonna lift you up so that you don't become diseased so that you don't get um, hopeless so that you don't fall away so that you don't get discouraged I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you I'm gonna support you I'm gonna be here for you isn't it such a beautiful picture of what God does to, to, when we're not producing fruit, when we're not doing so well, he lifts us up and he raises up, raises us up and protects us from doing, going to other sources or from becoming sick or becoming hopeless or discouraged. The father also prunes or cuts back the branches that bear fruit so that they may produce more fruit, just like in grape growing, like what I explained. And this corresponds to the discipling or the disciplining process of Jesus. Um, if we read in Hebrews 12, verse 4 to 11, oh, verse 4 to 11, but I'm going to focus specifically on, I think it's, I can't remember exactly which scripture it is, but it says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God, consist, 
God consistently disciplines us to make us more spiritually productive. It's not that he's trying to, to hurt us. He's not pruning us or, or cutting certain things away from us because he doesn't love us. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants to see us grow. He wants to see us thrive. He wants to see us flourish. He wants to see us bear fruit. He wants to see us bear good fruit, not just some rotten fruit. He wants us to bear good fruit, the, the, the best of the grapes. That's why he does it. And it does not involve removing this pruning process doesn't involve removing the believer's um, or life or, or taking him away from the branches if we, you know, as if some translations will make us will like kind of think that he just cuts us off and kind of chucks us away. No, he doesn't. Um, but it involves the removing of our sinful habits, purifying our character, purifying, purifying our conduct so that we can be more like Christ. And, and sometimes that happens through trials, not caused by God because God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Hallelujah. Amen. But, but trials often, you know, God uses trials that in our lives to prune us, to shape us, to, 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 uh, to, to, to purify our character. In James 1 verse 2 to 4, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is good, eh? So no fruit-bearing branch is exempt from the important process of pruning. If we are bearing fruit, Jesus wants us to produce more fruit because he loves us. Um, so no fruit-bearing branch is exempt from, from this important, but it's also an uncomfortable process because Right now, we, we, our character is not completely like Jesus. God wants to make us, as we behold him and as we, 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 we look to Jesus, it transforms us more and more into the image of who he is, right? And so God wants us to be like him. So this is why he prunes us. This is why he, he cultivates that. He trains us. Um, and the Father's purpose is loving. This whole purpose of pruning is, is a loving process. Um, even though it's painful, his heart for us is to be like him. His heart for us is to grow. His heart for us is to become like him. So grapevines, in contrast to other kind of woods or whatever, only has one purpose, or two purposes, actually. It's either good for bearing fruit or it's good for burning. It's not good for anything else. Unlike wood, when you cut a tree, um, you can use it, it. Some you get trees that bear fruit, but you also, if the tree... Like you can chop it down, you can use it for wood, you can use it to build a house. But whereas vines or grapevines are only good for bearing fruit or for burning, like the scripture says. Similarly, one of the reasons that a believer exists, and it's not the only reason, but one of the main reasons why we exist is to what? To bear fruit. To bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus is saying to his disciples here that they are clean because of the words that he had spoken to them. So the key here to pruning is the word of God. The word is key in pruning and allowing more fruit to grow in our lives. Ephesians 5 verse 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The word, again, is key in, in, in God pruning us. Just like he said that, that now, obviously we know that, you know, in, in Ephesians 5, God is using the analogy of a husband and a wife to, to show our relationship with him. So he's saying that he might sanctify her, us, his church, having cleansed us, his church, by the washing of, our, of, of, of the word of God so that he might present us, the church, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The word of God is key in us being pruned. We need to spend time in the word of God. We need to allow the word of God to wash us. We need to allow the word of God to, to change our heart. To, 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 to transform us into the image of who God is, into the image of Christ, right? The word of God is important. So 
just as a branch, um, sorry, wrong verse, verse 4, we are at verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, what does it mean to abide? We see here it says, unless you abide in me. We need to abide in Christ. So, if you think about the word abide, it's like a, there's an old word I think they use as for a dwelling. It's called an abode. That's where the word abide comes from. So, you think of like a dwelling place. You think of a house. You think of like a lodging um, kind of place. So, abide means to remain, dwell, lodge, or continue to live. So to abide is to make God or to make Jesus our dwelling place, to live in him, to dwell in him, to lodge in him, to continue in him. That's what it means to abide in Jesus, to make him our dwelling place. Just as the branch cannot live without the vine, so too we cannot live without Jesus. We cannot live without the vine. We cannot live without the true vine. But what does it look like to abide in Jesus? It looks like spending time in his word like we spoke about just now. It looks like spending time in his presence. It looks like just having such a desire to spend time, you know, in his presence. But more than, than having a desire to do these things, more than having a desire to spend time in his word, more than having a desire to worship him or, to, or having a desire to, to, to spend time in his presence, it looks like doing these things even when we don't feel like it, right? And that's what abiding looks like. Um, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, without him. Meaning you are vitally disconnected from Jesus, your life source. You are vitally, the branch apart from the vine is dead. Apart from the vine, you, you cannot receive nutrients. You cannot be revitalized. You cannot grow. If the branch is disconnected from the vine, it is dead. It is physically incapable of growing. It is physically incapable of bearing fruit. The, the branch cannot bear, bear fruit by itself unless it remains connected to the vine from which its life and sustenance flows. So as far as the disciples were concerned, they would produce no fruit from themselves. They couldn't manufacture the fruit to be produced in themselves if they did not remain in their relationship with Jesus, if they did not abide in Jesus. They did not make Jesus a dwelling place. Um, the eternal life which a disciple must possess in order to bear fruit originates from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. He is the source of all life, of all productivity for each and every one of us. He is that source. Acts 17 verse 28 says, it's one of, I think, Matthew's favorite verses. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. <laughs> right? This is what the scripture is saying. He's saying that in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Which means without Jesus, apart from Jesus, we cannot live, we cannot move, and we cannot have our being. Amen. This is what the scripture is saying. In, we need Jesus. We need to abide in Jesus so that we can live. Say this with me. I need to abide in Jesus so that I can live. So that I can grow. Amen. Amen. It's, you guys are very quiet. Okay. So, many unbelievers appear, appear to bear fruit. You know, you get people, um, oh, that person is such a nice person. Oh my goodness, they could be Christian. <laughs> I also find myself saying that. Like, they look, they have such godly character, such godly conduct. They, you know, they do all the right things. They really love people. Um, but actually, their fruit is phony. Actually, it's similar to that of plastic fruit. Um, that one hangs on a tree to give us the appearance of actually being healthy. To give us the appearance of actually looking like we're producing fruit. But actually, it's, it's, it's actually plastic fruit. Because apart from Jesus, we can bear no fruit, Right? And it's natural, it is natural that a branch that is vitally connected to the, to the vine bears fruit. 
but it's also not inevitable that we will bear fruit apart from that we will bear fruit. The way we bear much fruit is for the branch to maintain unhindered fellowship with the vine, which is Jesus. And this is by allowing the vine to have its complete way with the, with the branches, which means whatever the, the vine is, 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 if you think about like a, the actual vine in the natural sense, whatever the vine is getting from the soil, whatever water, whatever nutrients, whatever fertilizer that's there, that is directly going to the branch. If the branch had to wake up one day and say, now I'm going to cut my flow from here, it's not going to work. Like it's not going to produce um, fruit because it needs those nutrients. It needs that water. It needs that soil. It needs all the things that the vine is, 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 is giving to it. Um, everything that the, that the vine is supplying. So in the same way, we as the branches, we need Jesus. It, the alternative to not allowing the vine, which is Jesus, to have complete, complete, um, you know, right in, in the branch's life is the, would be us kind of resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by saying when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we're like, nope, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And the Holy Spirit calls you to have quiet. Nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to watch some series now. Or when the Holy Spirit says, oh, I want you to just, I'm just, just calling you to spend time. And you're like, no, I'm tired today. I don't want to do it. It's actually resisting when the Holy Spirit is calling you to spend time with the Lord. Resisting and saying, I don't have time for you, Jesus, right now. Everything else is more important. Neglecting and disobeying God when he calls us. That is, that, is, that, is not, uh, that is us not allowing the vine complete control over the branches, which is weird because in the natural, the branch cannot cut itself off from the vine, right? So why us as the branches sometimes want to cut ourselves off, maybe intentionally or maybe unintentionally, from the vine? It's not natural. The natural thing is to allow the vine complete authority to allow the, the vine to take complete control for the branch in its, in, in its very nature, just surrender, to kind of just be and allow the vine to do what the vine needs to do, right? Verse 6, let's go to verse 6, cool. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. The point here is that if you don't abide in Jesus, you won't bear fruit. And we all know, like we said earlier, bearing fruit is part of our calling. It's part of what God has called us to do. So if we don't abide in Jesus, we won't bear fruit, and we will not be fulfilling the calling of God in our lives. You are actually, and therefore, if you're not abiding in Jesus, you're already dead. Right? Because it says Jesus came to give life and life in abundance. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have life. We are dead. When we, do you remember the day that you got saved? Do you remember the day when the lights went on? Do you remember the day when, when, when you received Jesus into your heart and you felt like you became alive? Or not you felt you did become alive? That's what it is. Before that you were dead. You were dead to your sin. You were dead to Jesus. You were, you, 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 you were cut off. But when you accepted Jesus into your life, you became alive because Jesus is life. And he gave that life to us, that abundant life that he gave to each one of us when, he di when, when we accepted him into our lives. And this is why dead branches are gathered up and burnt because of their pointlessness, because of their uselessness. It doesn't fulfill its purpose. So it's, like I said earlier, vines are good for two things, bearing fruit or being burnt. So if a branch does not bear fruit, verse 6 says, it will, be thrown, it will be gathered up and thrown into the fire. But I just want to make a disclaimer here. A very big disclaimer that I think is very important. This scripture does not refer to salvation. It is not saying that um, you can, one can lose their salvation. It is not saying that if you um, don't bear fruit, you'll be cut off from Jesus and means you will not be saved. This is not what that scripture is saying. It's talking specifically about bearing fruit. Whether you bear fruit or not, you are and you believe in Jesus and you accept Jesus, you are saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from, rose from the dead, you will be saved, right? So, disclaimer, this is not talking about salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Say that with me. I cannot lose my salvation. 
Jesus' name. Okay. Salvation is by grace through faith, which means we don't earn it based on how much fruit our lives produce. Um, and therefore, we cannot lose it due to the lack of fruit, due to not having fruit. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So fruitfulness or unfruitfulness doesn't, depend, doesn't determine your salvation. Belief in Jesus does. Side note. Okay. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this verse, you can, as a Christian or as, as someone, we can read this and take it as a blanket statement. We can be like, anything I ask in Jesus' name, he's going to give it to me, right? Right? Right. <laughs> but actually, this scripture is not a blanket promise given to every single person that whatever they ask for in Jesus' name, it will be given to them. This is a promise for people that abide in Jesus. Do, can I tell you why? It is because when we abide in Jesus, when we abide in his word, when we abide in his presence, guess what? Our desires and Jesus' desires become one, which means the things that we ask God for are not the things of our own hearts or our own desires. It is the things that are on God's heart. I think there's a scripture in Psalm that says, um, that he will, grant you the, he will grant you the desires of your heart. That scripture is not just talking about anything willy-nilly. It's talking about when we and Jesus are one, as, as, as Jesus pre, uh, prays later on in John 17. Our desires and Jesus' be, desires became, become one, which means when, when we pray for things, we're praying God's will. And when, when we pray God's will, he will grant us the desires of our heart. He will, he, will, he will answer those prayers according to his will. Anything you ask for in my name, he will give it to you. You must ask according to his will. And when we spend time and with God and, and our hearts become one and our desires become one, we will pray the same thing. We will be saying the same thing. We will be doing what, 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 Je what Jesus said. He only says what he, what, he, what he hears the Father saying. He only does what he, what, he, what he sees the Father doing. We will also become like that. We will say, we will pray, we will do everything what we hear the Father saying because our hearts are one. Right? Verse 8. We're working through this scripture now. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so to prove that you are my disciples. When we bear fruit, God is glorified. God is magnified. People see God in us when we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God is glorified when we bear fruit. Isn't it such a beautiful thing? That we actually, we can just be in God and produce the fruit that God has, that God is producing in us and he is glorified. That actually we don't have to do anything in this context. That he is just glorified by, by our lives. So, the question we asked earlier is, let me just find it now. How does one, keep, how does one bear fruit in keeping with repentance? So the answer is simple. If you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. The answer is in abiding in Christ. So what are some of the results of abiding? We're going to look at John 15, verse 9 to 17. I think I'll ask someone else to read. Who wants to read? Sifa, because you have your Bible here. John 15, verse 9 to 17. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide, in his, doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Amen, thank you, God. So 
loving obedience and abiding in Jesus is the cause of our fruitfulness. But one of the results of abiding in Jesus is joy. We read that in verse 10 to 11 that, 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 that Sifa read. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. One of, one of the results of abiding in Jesus is having a joy. Joy that, that, that doesn't depend on, on what's happening in our lives. It doesn't depend on whether it's going well or whether it's not going well. It doesn't depend on whether, you know, I'm, I'm passing or I'm failing. It doesn't depend on whether, how much money I got in my bank account. It is constant. It comes from Jesus. It is the result of abiding and submerging ourselves in Christ and Christ's love is that we will have this joy that is constant. But abiding in Jesus doesn't mean that we will not go through trials and tribulations but that in them we will have joy and that our joy may be full, like verse 10 says. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. This is the result of when we abide. Whether we won't, obviously, it doesn't mean that you know, we will not feel sadness in times. We will not mourn in certain times. and We will not you know, feel great one day. But joy isn't about just being happy all the time and, oh, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. It's about this inner joy and knowing that Jesus is with you, that this is confidence. It's an inner happiness that doesn't depend on our circumstances. And it doesn't look sometimes the way that we think. It doesn't have to look like running up and down and screaming and jumping. Joy is something that comes from the Lord. Um, and Jesus is saying, well, James is saying, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And why is he saying this? Is that when we, because naturally when you face trials and tribulations, you want to like dig a hole, a very deep hole, jump in it, and bury yourself in it. That's what our natural inclination is to do. But, but the writer of, of the book of James said, consider it pure, pure joy. Why? Because Jesus is with you in the trials. Jesus is with us in the tribulations. That no matter what happens, Jesus is with us. That is why consider it pure joy. And then the second result of abiding in Jesus is loving others. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When we abide in Jesus, we become like Jesus. And the result is that we lay down our lives for our friends, just the way Jesus laid down his life for his friends. The laying down of our lives is an overflow of Jesus, of abiding in Jesus. It's not like, okay, now I need to lay down my life for my friends because this is what, what one of the results of abiding is. We do not cause the results. Abiding in Jesus calls the results. We can't make ourselves feel joy. We cannot make ourselves love others. But by abiding in God and allowing Him to change and, and, and transform our hearts, that causes us to love others. That causes us to lay down our lives for each other without fear of what might happen to us, right? Greater love has no one than he that will lay down his life for his friends. It is an overflow just as Jesus laid down his, his life for us. And the reality is that the more, the, the, the things that you spend your time on, the things that you spend most of your time doing, watching, people that you spend time with, guess what? You will become like them. I remember Pastor D once said in, in a sermon along that you're the sum of the five, the five closest friends that you surround yourself with. So think about the five people that you, that you, that you spend your most time with and be like, you'll actually be surprised of how similar you are, of how much you think the same way, of how you start saying the same things. You start doing similar things. You, your, your, your interests and desires and everything become like one. It's like you're all one person. <laughs> like my friendship groups as a unit. But imagine if you spend, if, if, if the reality is that you, the things and the people that you spend your most time with is the one that you become like. Imagine if you spend time with Jesus. Imagine when we spend time in the word of God. Imagine when we spend time worshiping God. Imagine when we spend time in his word, just, just, just being in the presence of God. We will become like Jesus. Who wants to become like Jesus? I don't know about you, but I want to become like Jesus. And I'm becoming like Jesus, aren't we all? <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to spend time with Jesus because we want to be transformed into the glorious and the beautiful image of Jesus. We want to lay down our lives the way Jesus laid down his life for his friends. But that comes from spending time with Jesus. 
So I'm just going to conclude, but we, we just, just, we're just going to conclude, and then we're just going to pray. We're going to spend some time just praying um, and just worshiping God and just allowing, just, I just believe that just, just, just allowing our hearts just to connect with God again. So to summarize everything that I said, how can we tell that we are abiding with Jesus? Is that a special feeling that you get during worship? It's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. So, some of the evidences of abiding in Jesus, which he spoke about, because I said a lot of things now, and I just want to bring it together. Number one is that you would produce fruit. Number two, you will experience the Father's pruning so that you will bear more fruit. Number three, you will have prayers answered. Number four, you will experience a deepening love for Christ and for other believers. And lastly, you will experience joy. This is what happens when you abide in Jesus. So won't you stand with me? I'm going to ask the band to come up. Just close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to strive to bear fruit, God. Thank you, Jesus, that that we just need to abide in you, my God. Thank you, Lord, that it's in you we live and move and have our being, Lord. You are our life, God. You are our source of life, Lord. Everything we need is in you, Lord. We want to abide in you, Lord. We want to abide in your word. We want to abide in your love. We want to make you our dwelling place, God. It is a desire of our heart to be abiding. We want to abide in you, Jesus. And we're just going to sing this song. And I want you to just sing it just as a, as a prayer, just as a, a desire in your heart. And maybe you don't feel like it today. Maybe you're thinking about Abiding, and it seems like such a schlep, but I just want you to sing the song in faith. It's a song that Matthew wrote a, a while ago. It just says that we want to abide in you, Jesus. So let's just sing that song.